Yada yada yada, in honor of Killers of the Flower Moon, what's a movie that feels really, really long, but still earns being really, really long? I'm Katie Rich, and Lawrence of Arabia, which is a movie Matt Patches and I have seen together, uh, is the obvious answer, but it's like the answer. Like, you gotta like bathe in it for the full four hours to get the effect. It might not actually be four hours long, it's just really long and has an intermission. I'm Matt Patches. I'm gonna go with a more recent, but I feel like slightly forgotten, or becoming more forgotten. Do you think about this movie ever, Katie? It's Tony Erdman. It's a very funny and down-to-earth family dramedy. I think you just need to live in it. It's like three hours long, and you have to, like... I think hangout movies can be and should be long. Chill. I actually never saw Tony Erdman, but uh, with Sandra Huller all over the place, I feel like now is the time to catch up with it. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's awesome. Awesome. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 448. It is the week of Wednesday, October 18th. That is the day that a 1961 West Side Story, not that Spielberg one, uh, premiered in theaters. Music uh, from a guy named from Lenny Bernstein. Uh, from the you might be hearing, you might be hearing more about him later this year. Do they have, um, uh, is there like scenes of West Side in Maestro? No. Oh. Um, it's an, it's, it's an unconventional biopic in some of that way. There's a lot less of his work than you think, but there is music and like knowing West Side Story as well as I do, you know, the minute you get, uh, na, 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 like, oh, I know what that is. Uh, but they use, uh, a jet song or a cool, there's like a, there's like a use of like a specific song in a really funny scene. Um, yeah, they blue balls you so that you, you get on the subway and then listen to, uh, West Side Story, which is exactly what I did when I saw Maestro. Uh, it's just you and me today. <laughs> it is. is. Yeah. We're holding we, down the uh, fort. We'll, we'll explain why, I guess, in our in our tidbit here coming up. But um, people yeah, seem just... to like it when we uh, split off into random do duos they? sometimes. Do you like when, I don't know. Do you have podcasts that you listen to where you're like, if all the members of the podcast aren't there, you're still like ready to listen? I don't know that I listen to that many podcasts that have more than two people on them now that I think about them. It's like usually like one person or two people. I'm not listening to that many podcasts these days. I'm going to say 60%. No, I'm going low. 40% of our podcast listenership is going to bow out when they realize David's not here. <laughs> but I'm going well, to promise gonna them. They're going to double it when they the David's here, not here. I'm going to try and be as Dave as possible this episode. I feel like Dave is the most I just recommended one. Tony Erdman. Give me sure a did. fucking break. I mean, I think that Dave is the most popular one for good reason, because I just watched Dave go on his, like, uh, victory lap tour of New York City. Uh, oh, by the way, we're, we're skipping reviews whoa, 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 this week, because it's just us. Wait, yeah. oh, I was, I was just going to jump right in. We, we, we oh, may have reviews, is... but we don't know, because Dave and David aren't here. I see. Right? This is going to be the first segment. We're just, this is, we're <laughs> I know we're we going. don't do st- we don't do segues. Maybe I jumped too far into it. But that we said I thought you said we weren't gonna have segments. Uh well this is traditionally the intro where we would read reviews, but you're right. Like if we're not doing it, maybe the podcast has just started and we don't have to waste people's time. We could just well, get here, to the, wait, okay. the meat of things. Or we could catch up on Marvel Snap. But although Marvel Snap might be a component of our 
<laughs> should I? Bit. Yeah, I should release the photo of uh, Dave and David playing Marble Snap against each other in real time, us uh, standing face to face. In person. Yeah, you guys. Playing Marble Snap. <laughs> we, we, we have not all four of us been in a room since David was married in mm-hmm. 2017. 2017. So six God, years. that's such a long time ago. And that's so crazy. The, the decision we made was when we finally reunited. <laughs> I didn't we would make play this decision. Marble Snap. At I did not a make bar. this decision. <laughs> I, uh, I will tweet and Blue Sky. Because oh, wow. I put them on Instagram, but my Instagram is private, so I'm gonna, I will I will post some of these pictures because uh, people deserve to to see they them. Because I was so excited to get a picture of us all together because we have good ones from over the years. Like we've got photos from weddings. Like there's the one from our live podcast at the Hell's Kitchen Film Festival, and I feel oh, like cool. our um, our photo at the Tiki Bar with Marvel Snap <laughs> was like pretty good, taken by Joanna Robinson, another celebrity who I watched touring around New York City. Uh, but you know. As we, we feel like we've gotten off our game as we've gotten older. We need to work on our photo-taking skills for the next time six years from now. I guess we care less. I probably worried more about what I looked like in photos and how I was mm. appearing to the rest of the world back in my 20s when we were more routinely going to bars and, and expressing yeah. ourselves in that yeah. way. Um, here's the part that is more like a review that I could say and then we could actually do a segment is I got in-person reviews of this podcast by meeting people who listen to the podcast at uh, events for Damon Joanna's book. Really just the one in Grand Central, um, which is the one that I went to. And I wonder if this happened to you at New York Comic Con where uh, like people came because they were fans of this podcast. Uh, well, I was at New York Comic Con where everyone was there to talk about Marvel. So not as much <laughs> of, of that. Definitely encountered a little bit of that, but uh, totally different experience. We'll we'll talk about it a little bit in a second, but um, yeah, I I I'm just glad that to hear that uh, people yeah. really listen to the podcast. Yeah, they're what a they're relief. Out. We've been uh, we've been out here doing this not just to, for our own benefit to play Marvel Snap in person. Um, so we'll get back to uh, regular reviews next week. Dave is yeah, still on can... tour. David could not make it. Um, where, where, where can, can people leave, leave the you? reviews? Yeah, they can leave them at the. <laughs> I, uh, I was gonna. I was gonna say. I was. I was doing that documentary technique where, like, you ask a question, then I respond by starting uh-huh. with the, the I see. thing. So yeah, if you so wanted I can to edit cut it, it, it easily. It be, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's a little for budding filmmakers. <laughs> filmmakers out there, you want to ask a question, <laughs> then you want your subject to state that question again. Where can yep. you leave reviews for this show? You can leave them on podcast apps. We usually recommend. Apple Podcast, or you can email us at. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Fighting in the War Room Podcast at Gmail. I don't even remember. Um, I'm a terrible it, friend. It would be and host. A fitword.podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. That's not my part. I, I know. know you've heard you've heard Dave, Dave say it back. so many times. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, get in touch. And if you saw Dave uh, or and Joanna in person at some point, especially. Tell us, tell us what you thought. Matt Patches, we mentioned earlier that you went to New York Comic Con. For the first special occasion, I was just going to ask when was the last time you went to New York Comic Con. First off, when was the last time you were at New York Comic Con? Well, I didn't go to New York Comic Con this year. (laughs) 
<laughs> I applied for credentials from this very podcast, and they're like, mm, we're good. Didn't, didn't put down the VF badge on that one. I just didn't like, want to like drag them into it. Like I, I wanted to go. No offense to anything else going on at New York Comic Con. I only wanted to go to see this panel. And so when they rejected me, I was like, mm, I'll just go get pizza before I meet up with you guys. I would say which is that what New I did. York Comic Con and comic conventions probably in general this may be not as true as more local like around the u.s comic cons as much as new york and san diego but probably fewer vanity fair friendly topics than ever before because the the tenor of these things has really changed on some level i think when we were going way back in the day it was comic books and pop culture in the well i it still well, is. It was all the, but, all but, the studios what, were there. That was why we were there. Yeah, big studio stuff. We were getting Godzilla movies and DC and Marvel movies and Cowboys Tron versus Legacy. Aliens. Yeah, Cowboy versus <laughs> Aliens. God, I was just talking about Cow- Cowboy versus Aliens today at work. Uh, did, did you realize that the Cowboy versus Aliens comic book is a scam? Like, they never really made a comic book and it was not a bestseller and they just like paraded this fake concept around Did they make and, and convinced it everyone for to, the movie yeah like it was not they they convinced media people that it was real and they would just perpetuate this idea that this comic was super popular and it just never really existed or manifested in that way and it's and just like one of those whole, things where like to get a movie made you get it turned into a magazine article yes first exactly it's IP. exactly like let's pretend like cowboys vs. aliens is a big comic property to scoop up in the post-marvel landscape and, and it worked you wait did you and I go to the set of Cowboys vs. Aliens? This no, is, I did not do that one. I was one. there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember a lot of people went to that one. That was not me. What a sad... I mean, I <laughs> won't think this is sad that I got to, like, meet Harrison Ford in a, you, in, a did, did you, in Monument Valley or whatever. You got a challenge coin from John Favreau, <laughs> I got right? a challenge coin from John Favreau. Do you Favreau. still have it? Golden coin. Yes, I do. Uh, with the alien ship that everyone remembers, that, that amazing <laughs> insectoid design alien ship. I what a strange curio of that time where like I guess you got Daniel Craig, you got Favreau at the height of his game. That movie has no footprint, right? Like that no, movie, absolutely not. No one has ever gone back to watch it. Do you remember why the aliens are invading? In that God, movie, there's a reason. They want gold, so they're like panning for gold. I'm pretty sure. Sure. And then Daniel Craig has to stop them with his, he gets a laser bracelet and just shoots them on the fucking head, aliens. It's um, on Peacock. A... You can watch Cowboys and Aliens on Peacock. We do have a quarter call coming up. I don't think Cowboys and oh, Aliens. Oh, we should tease that before the end of the uh, episode. <laughs> we will. But uh, uh, no, that's not on the list. But I, I'm, I'm like morbidly curious. It was a very bad movie. And that kid I from mean, Last Airbender was in it. And met oh. him. Like, a lot of people are in it. Did you. Well, I was just going to say I never went to ask if you went to the set of a movie that was actually good, but you and I went to the set of Skyfall, which is good. That, good. That's the Ooh, only, that the that's only really one. That's a good question. No, I, I went, went to the, the Harry Potters. Oh, right. I would God, say. You, you got all the VIP set back then. I would say it was pretty then. good. I did not go to any of those. I went to like, I Battle to Los Angeles. I got to Hall of Hogwarts. Oh, yeah. No, Dave and I went movie. to the set of the first Conjuring, which I've never seen because I'm scared. Okay, that's a that's a. These but like movie? it certainly uh, created that was like an empire. New York? No, it was in Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay, you got. Uh, I didn't live here then. I flew time. from New York. Uh, I went to the set of the Help. I would still defend the Help. Uh, the Help is a good movie. And get roasted think for it. Most people don't care for it or think it's kind of like think it regressive is, politics. Yeah, wise. it is. It's it's not. Re- 
the politics of the movie poop. are so is it that so, bad? The the politics of the movie are definitely like not in favor of like treating black people poorly. Like that is not what the movie is trying to do. But I think the way that it tells the story uh focused as much on the uh white characters and Emma Stone's character who wants to like help these black maids. I, I don't think it holds up that well. I'm just happy reason. that I think that's okay. It did help I think objectively helped Viola Davis and Octavia Spencer have huge careers. Yes. That they made yeah. many, many more better yes. movies after. I think everyone involved in the help. The slide in the sliding did. doors universe, I'm glad the help happened. Yeah, I think that's a fair did. way to put it. Like Viola Davis had doubt before that, so like she may have gone on the same path that she did without the help, but it certainly it helped, you might say. Wow, yeah, it did. Uh, uh, so, so New York amazingly, Comic-Con. we were talking about Comic-Con at some point. <laughs> now, the reason we strayed is because, yes, there was an era where, like, Cowboys versus Aliens would have had, like, a humongous panel, and we would have been there with our laptops Big old out to see a trailer. And how, and the tra- yeah, character floor, posters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, men in cowboy hats would have been walking the show floor. Times have definitely changed. I think what's so interesting on New York Comic-Con now is... The not just infusion, but the domination of anime and Japanese pop culture on the floor. Like it is what people are fans of. It is what people are obsessed with. Not necessarily even just new stuff like Dragon Ball, this property from late eighties, early nineties, and Dragon Ball Z, which obviously was the dominant kind of iteration of the franchise for a lot of Americans, thanks to Toonami and everything. Like it's still going. It's still huge. Goku inflatable right there when you walk in like it's insane and there's gonna be a new dragon ball show and the thing is you have no idea what i'm talking about like <laughs> um, i know what dra- i'm familiar that dragon ball z is a thing but that's a, that's as could much you as name a dragon ball character i said goku already, goku so, no you <laughs> can't say goku anyone else uh uh no i have no i vegeta no. uh nope piccolo Pick- cell just okay <laughs> um, sound like random words yeah, and, and obviously Dragon Ball is maybe the most accessible anime thing there possibly is because then you have all these, like, like Genshin Impact had a huge uh, activation at Comic-Con and that's a mobile game and uh, extremely Japanese thing. And just, like, it's so anime. And, and, and it's not like they've just dominated and everyone has to get on board. Like, everyone's on board. Everyone is dressed as anime characters and it's just, it's a different sensibility than it was 10 years ago. And it's not bad. It's just, it's shown really how the tides have changed about what like mainstream American pop culture is. It anime is huge. There's a reason Netflix is spending billions of dollars on creating and licensing anime. There's a reason why Sony spent a billion dollars, some dollars to, uh, you know, own Crunchyroll, And like, this is just a huge, huge thing that so many of us media people too, like uh, Western uh, entertainment media people do not understand at all. Well, I'm and, looking, there's always like a, every year there's one or two anime films that make a ton of money at the box office. Everyone's like, huh, what's that? Like Suzume, I'm looking, made $10 million. Suzume is North trying American to do a big office. Oscar push. You should see this movie is because it? it very well could be nominated for the animated Oscar. I think the problem that stands in its way this year is the is Miyazaki, the Miyazaki movie. Yeah. Yeah, of course. The Boy and the Heron, which, you know, if you know that, you don't know anime. Like Miyazaki hates anime. I put sure. in quotes there. Good, good polygon story on that. Um, But... Yeah, it's so interesting to just walk the floor and see so many things that I 
And I'm 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 in deeper than a lot of people on the anime beat at this point at working at Polygon, but I still don't know everything and I don't know a lot and I'm I'm not watching as much and there's just so much to know that that was my other takeaway from Comic-Con between all the anime stuff, between all the traditional comic book stuff, between all the publishers who are there. There's just so many book booths. Obviously, we'll talk about well, it seems Dave like and Joanna being there. Or, right? It is. Like... No, it absolutely is. It just feels Maybe it didn't feel so overwhelming, like I wasn't missing out on certain things, like I recognized more, or like, hey, here's the Percy Jackson booth. Oh, uh, yeah, I know what that is, at least. Like, I, I do know, I'm it. very familiar with Percy Jackson, you know, yes. Of course, you're getting all on board. You're getting excited for the Percy Jackson show. We're excited about the sixth book, which is on hold at the library. It's, uh, who would have guessed that right when we got into Percy Jackson, there'd be a new book? Oh, man. I think there's a spinoff. You're, you're, you're oh, there's, oh, there's a gazillion spinoffs, but like a sixth proper Percy Jackson book uh, just came out. We're very excited. I, my, I'm walking the floor. I just like, I'm, I was overwhelmed by the amount of things that I could be reading. There's just so many books and comics and publishers. I, I, and then the tabletop of it all, like D&D being bigger than ever. And then all the, you know, it's not just D&D. It's all the YouTube. It's all like Critical Role. And I even saw uh, Polygon former employees, the McElroy brothers, have a booth there. Like there's so much online content now that's represented at comic conventions and it's crazy it's just like so much and then you go all the way to the corner and you're in the fucking wasteland of ebay uh market verse and the funko booths and you're just like i'm jumping off the bridge here uh this is <laughs> there's so much commerce happening as well and obviously that was always part of it like get your swag and get your toys and get your shit but like i'm so glad that at least the- it's like lock it off at the end of the, the hall there. So what is the presence of Marvel at something like this? Non-existent. This point, they didn't, like, like Marvel. Well, it's like there's a strike. Like they're not going to, they can't have actors. Like it, there's a reason not to do it. But like. But even their booth comic- is like underwhelming. You know, yeah, you would, this is my question. Like DC do they and Marvel acknowledge really that these movies are happening? Booths. No, they don't acknowledge any movies or anything. The biggest Marvel thing that I saw while walking around was there's a new Spider-Man game, which I know David is playing, and I'm yeah. sure when he's back, we will be talking about because Dave will play it too. I don't have a PlayStation. I can't play the Marvel Spider-Man 2 game, unfortunately. But, like, that that was the biggest thing that they were parading around that was kind of cross-media or super mainstream as opposed to the comics. But even the sure. comics people didn't, like, Marvel and DC Comics didn't have, they had their regular panels, but didn't have, like, a huge presence on the floor like they've been overwhelmed by pop culture and on one hand you can get really upset and defensive about like give comics their place at this comic convention on the other hand what are marvel and dc doing like mm-hmm. they have the money to spend too, to have like, a big presence at this thing if they want yeah to. they're just not putting a foot forward they're not putting on a show and i don't know if they have a lot to show like unfortunately the comics business is really really struggling so it's um it's a bit disappointing to see in that way but here's the thing for any of our uh, New York or tri-state area listeners, I did see Sandy Kenyon of ABC7. <laughs> you said uh, a picture And he was this. interviewing uh, Kirby's foe, DT, I think, from the Kirby games. I can't remember. King Didi, is that right? I you Yeah, Katie, Ooh, is that right? Nope. Nope, got no idea. Uh, you know very, I know more about amazing. video games than I used to, but I'm And then not I saw far. a giant inflatable Kirby going down an escalator. So there was still joy to be found. <laughs> Did the, the Kirby convention. fit on the escalator? An escalator feels his, like a tight squeeze for a His folds were kind of going grip. over the rails, yeah. <laughs> it was a beautiful sight. Um, but yeah, I mean, the reason I was at Comic-Con, I, we got to give a shout out to our, our friends, Joanna and Dave, because they wrote a book 
They sure did. Reign of the Marvel Studios, and uh, it's out. You can buy it. We did a big panel for it where we just talked about Marvel. Here was my big question. You answer this one. Mm-hmm. My big question for them, obviously, we just talked about everything Marvel for an hour with a great, if, if anyone listening was there, everyone was such a good crowd, and like I think everyone had a good time on the panel. Uh, my question to them that I try, I thought it was a barn burner. Which is like, is Kevin Feige a genius, certified genius, like Steve Jobs level mm. innovator genius, or do you think Marvel would happen either way, or do you think it's not <laughs> that? I mean, it, it wouldn't have happened without him, but like, is it? Does he get that much credit? Is it? Is this like a once in a a millennia level innovation that you might label him a genius? Well, it's a question, is Kevin Feige a genius or could anyone else have done what he did? I think that's two different things. Okay, well, then tell me both of them. Like, I think that he is probably a really good manager. He's a really good visionary of seeing forward in the future. He's a really good at, like, navigating all of the stuff as a Hollywood executive that you have to do to keep people happy. I don't know if that is the definition of genius. I don't know that he like looked into some unknowable future and said like, ah, the iPod, that's what it's going to be. But I don't know that anyone ever does that. Like what actually defines a genius? I can't figure that out. I do think only Kevin Feige could have done what he did. He seems to have had the exact combination of experience and like low profile, but also high profile. Like we all know who he is, but he's not like the personality dominating all of Marvel. He put up with like Ike Perlmutter who like could have torpedoed the whole thing a million times. He had a gift to get to steer that very specific ship, I think. And I know a lot of this from only reading David Joanna's book. Yeah. The, the the MCU book does a good job of illustrating that he is not like a comic fan. He probably gets a reputation as like, he's the guy who knows comics. And he said, after those X-Men movies, and all the other like hide it behind black costumes 2000s new metal shit like <clears throat> no we can we can put them in the real costumes and do the real comic stuff but feige is not necessarily a comics person he's he loves movies he was like a, he was in the richard donner the laura short donner camp yeah and and loves and loves star wars and loves superman uh and he wanted to make Big movies, popcorn movies, and I think that. But what he knew was that you could adapt them as source material, or at least like go to the comics for answers when so many people wouldn't believe that was that was possible. Um, so that was smart. Whether he's a genius level person, I I don't know. He's probably a well, yeah, once what was in the, a. What was the verdict in the room? I think everyone thought. Well, I think we kind of got stuck on like what is genius, which which uh, could have probably had a whole panel too. about that as well. Uh, you know, we'll have to watch Oppenheimer again to really know if Kevin Feige <laughs> is working at that level, <laughs> seeing the particles when he's at sleep or whatever. I, I uh, think the fact that so many people have tried to replicate it and failed, or at least like a handful of people yeah. have, with like all of the resources that Kevin Feige had, is maybe an argument for genius. Except for because the dark he made universe, it, which obviously worked out. Well, obviously succeeded. It, it's like Cowboys and Aliens. We all know everything that happened in those movies. Um, it he he did something that even people with the exact same resources couldn't do. So maybe he is a genius. When uh, I was at Comic Con, you you were banned from entering the Javits mm-hmm. Center. Shadow um, banned, yeah. But you 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 actually went and saw movies. You had your own mini film festival, which we've oh, talked yeah. a lot about the things that you saw out of Toronto. 
but is there i mean i mean many of the things you saw we'll we'll eventually talk about on the podcast but yeah we'll be talking about stuff what was your what was your what was your new york experience like what were the highs there did you i saw six movies which is did your world crazy change? from i i got in town tuesday morning and left friday afternoon and saw six movies in that span and hung out and drank tiki drinks with all of you guys so like that's pretty good um i mean poor things is amazing like i I feel like if you've been paying attention to festival news, you've heard about it. Um, there are people who genuinely believe Emma Stone could win a second Oscar for this, which like before I saw it, I was like, How okay, old right. is she? Is she our age? Thirty five. Why don't you okay. go- Google That's how old Emma? Thirty five is my guess. Amazing. What's your What's your guess? I'm gonna go with thirty six. Okay. Are you googling <laughs> not, it or not am I googling it? I'll Google it right now while you <laughs> while you're talking about poor things. Uh, it's like Yorgos Lanthimos is like confusing to me. Like, do you remember when like Dog Tooth was the thing that like Christ, all the smart she's 34. like four? Uh, she's unfortunately yeah. that much younger than us. Like Dog Tooth was like all the film people were like, ah, yes, brilliant. And I saw Dog Tooth and I was like, I don't get it. This is and for it's weirdos. Unpleasant. Yeah, that was, yeah. It's for weirdos. And like he that was has definitely certainly, a me movie. Yeah, yeah, it was not my weirdo movie, but like. Obviously with the favorite and now poor things. I think he's expanding to a bigger audience. It is just so wild. Mark Ruffalo is so funny in this movie. He is like it's so it had been compared to basically Barbie, where you have Emma Stone as this like woman who's kind of figuring out the world on her own. She's she's created kind of Frankenstein style from the brain of a baby into an adult woman's body. And uh, she goes out in the world and is kind of seduced by Mark Ruffalo as this like pompous rich guy who sucks on every possible level but she doesn't really know that because she doesn't know what the world is uh she just wants to have sex with them all the time uh i am dying to interview the intimacy coordinator for this movie because there's a ton of sex in it um in a way that like you would never expect for a giant movie star at this point um it's great it's just a visionary is an overused word but like absolutely nobody else the good news is i've heard you and david describe it and i still don't think i'm prepared and no 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 you're not understand so anyone listening will not feel uh, spoiled because I just yeah, it's just like stuffed with information. I think if you've seen the favorite, you kind of like who did the know... costumes? Do you know off the top of your head there? No, I is this sh- like Colleen Atwood joint or something? I mean, they look lavish and they're extremely like lavish. I mean, the people... costumes are beautiful. Like, I mean, if you want me to like get in Oscar wise, like I think the fact that this has to could like compete for Oscars against Barbie for production design and costumes is like nuts because uh they're both spectacular well, it's so funny because this is such an outrageous it's, a, it's such an outrageous movie um but this weekend as we mentioned at the top killers of the flower moon comes out in theaters i hope we get a chance to, to talk about that when all of us have found the three and a half hours required to i thought we were talking about it next week it. it's on the schedule. okay i will see it there. i will see it it's in um, wide release i i just i'm like i wonder what the appetite will be for the movies this year like there's a lot of contenders there's not a front runner this yeah, movie is super long and yeah, serious yeah there's, there's a front runner it's, you think it's, it's a front called, runner it's called it's Oppenheimer. called Oppenheimer yeah it just okay. it just is that's my uh tiresome it's just steamrolling take. through I think it should and I think it will and everyone's gonna kind of cast around being like yeah but what about uh this other stuff for a long time because that's what we do we get bored and like Killers of the Flower Moon is monumental like it certainly should be part of the conversation but I'll I feel be- like when you have when you have a gigantic hit that is also really smart and made by a director who was long overdue for an Oscar, like just just let one plus one plus one add up to three and get it, get it fair. over with. 
to, to wrap up this segment, uh, what was your favorite part <laughs> of seeing me uh, at, in New York? Uh, when we walked, we you came and met us at the pizza restaurant, and you kind of huffed and being like, "Hey, is there pizza left? I need some pizza." And it was just what like, was I yeah. wearing? Oh, you were in cosplay as uh, someone from Loki. Yes, I was. I guess Owen I was wearing Wilson a TVA jacket. Someone. I mean, uh, I guess I could have been anyone. I need to watch Loki season two. I think we said we'll talk about that once we'll days back on the there, podcast. I, do you? Yeah, no, you will probably have to. But um, I mean, I feel like very sincerely, I seeing Dave and Joanna in Grand Central doing their panel, like in this beautiful room that's part of literal architectural landmark Grand Central. And then like reuniting with you guys, like friends I have had for a really long time. And like we were there with other friends, like Chris Rosen was there, Joe Reed was there, Case Wakeman, like people who we also know and love and aren't on this podcast. But like it was homecoming. It was wonderful to like all energy. be in the same place. I know. Like it didn't. We, we were sharing was, a giant punch bowl drink. Yeah. When it was over, like Do you guys all left to go home because you had children that were going to wake up in the morning. And I was like off of my room springer going back to my hotel room. I got pizza <laughs> with Dave and Joanna in Hell's Kitchen at midnight. And uh, oh, what a couldn't dream. have couldn't have been happier. A guy walked by with one of those shirts that looks like the Marvel logo, but it says Martin Scorsese instead. And I was like, it's a sign. That's a sign. That's a sign. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was amazing. I felt we had a so happy night. to be back in back in your company. It felt the like it was over too has soon. Been rejuvenated. Did you not have the feeling in the years. cab being like, oh, man, like that was the like solar eclipse and now it's over and now we're back to Zoom. Uh, I was still thinking about how David just whooped. Uh, <laughs> Dave's ass in Marvel Snap with his uh, kitty deck. It's uh, it was a sight to behold. You guys all sad. looked at my deck in Marvel Snap and like told me what was wrong about it, but I don't really remember. <laughs> I don't remember what you told <laughs> that me. That didn't stick. That's good. That <laughs> I it need didn't to go stick. back and figure the, it out. The the personal memories were stronger. So uh, yeah, I think that's a good point. So um, lead recommendation to hanging out with your friends in yeah, person. That's a big one. Yeah, hard hard pass on that. No, no, that's the opposite. My memories came back in the form of someone else. I know this feeling, yes, I know this very well. We watched the same movie. Uh, it's did. a. As, as I was just saying, I saw a bunch of movies in New York last week, none of which you have seen. So we're like in, in an interesting period where we're before a lot I'm, of the I'm Oscar in movies. I'm every man, and mm-hmm. you are part of the elite. Go join the, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of people who are going to go see Killers of the Flower Moon this weekend. So we can talk about I it next week. Uh, but in the meantime, hundreds of millions of people right now can watch The Burial, which is And I on... think they are. Are they? To be clear. I, here's why. Sidebar here. He's uh, on Prime Video. Just after the sentence. burial was over, I did something that I assume a lot of people do, which is Google the burial because uh-huh. I, I wanted to know a little more about the people who were involved mm-hmm. in making the real people. When I went on Google, which now automates like a lot of information, uh, unfortunately, if you're in the tell people what to watch business, as we are, Google really coming for your ass uh, mm-hmm. with like automated garbo recommendations. And what what was interesting is. The Burial, when I Googled it, was labeled the number one most searched movie of the week. And then had a button that I could click to find out what else was in the top ten. The top ten being absolutely ridiculous. Would you like to know what was in the top ten most searched movies according to this Google algorithm thing? 
I googled the, the, the burial and was not given this information. So you're gonna have to tell me. Top ten most searched drama movies on streaming today. So this is, I guess, more specific. It's number one, the burial. Number two, Reptile, the new uh-huh. Timberlake Benicio del Toro yeah, Netflix uh-huh. movie. Number three, Elemental. I okay. believe that. drama. Okay. Number four, The Shining. I Halloween? guess spooky season. Like, what's pumping up? The, yeah, I don't know. Uh, number five, a 2010 film starring Samuel Jackson and Michael Sheen and Carrie Ann Moss called Unthinkable. Have you ever heard of this movie? It was directed video. No, uh, I have no idea. What that, I, that is if you wild. For it on like Twitter or something, people are like, Samuel Jackson's never been better than Unthinkable. You got to watch Unthinkable. Samuel Jackson. When you say um, so 2010, it... I'm like, oh yeah, that that's my peak Cowboys and Aliens era. Like, I re- I'm gonna remember that movie. I have no clue what that is. Oh. Release then, direct uh, video. You're right. Rocky uh, is number sure. six, and then okay. Deep Water, the Affleck, Adonis, uh, okay. Rodney. Okay, for on. some reason, eight is the Captive, a Ryan Reynolds film from 2014 that no one talks about. Uh, number nine is After Everything, which I believe is the like prequel in a series that you and I have no. Understanding like a of. teen romance yes. thing, and the number ten is Practical Magic. What the oh, fuck yeah. is going that's on? Halloween. What that's Halloween. That's Google. That's that's just Halloween. It had it's it having an anniversary. Someone I work with interviewed Griffin Dunn, who directed Practical okay. Magic. Did you know that? Um, now I do. Uh, just an interesting sidebar about like Google really blowing out like all the information you could possibly want to know to make sure that nobody with like critical authority or curational expertise would ever be able to reach you by searching. It is interesting so it the is. extent to which we have no idea what people are watching. Like, we don't, we, like, we, like, <laughs> the things that we think are important are not important. But here's the thing. We have watched the number one drama most searched on Google, which is The Burial, yes. which is on Amazon Prime, a, a platform I think a lot of people do use to watch movies. I will rent videos on Amazon. So like I like Apple TV used to be my go to, yeah. but like Amazon sometimes easier for various reasons. And like I think they have more back catalog movies than Netflix these days. That'd be my. They guess. definitely do. No, I mean uh, Prime and 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 Max and even Hulu have a lot more like old movies to watch. Um, so it's 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 worth. Well, actually, let me another another sidebar here. We'll never get to the actual movie to watch. <laughs> Do you, you subscribe to Amazon Prime? Yeah. Yeah. We're shameless Why? garbage people. Because we order a bunch of random shit off of Amazon all so the do time. I. But here's the thing. Why do you order it off Amazon? Now, I'm not a, like a hard line <laughs> fight the man Amazon person. There are a lot of people out there who would wonder why anyone who cares about society would subscribe to sure. Amazon. But I am starting to think that I should unsubscribe from Prime. Because I don't actually need Prime, because it's not delivering things as quickly as it used to. And I also go to like Costco. I'm a Costco uh-huh. member, and maybe I should just go to Costco if I want something. I, why would I pay for two kind of clubs of discount? And oh, I can I mean... also just go to fucking Target if I need something tomorrow, right? <sighs> like we live, we live in the suburbs. Why do we, why do we pay money for Amazon Prime? I go to Costco for a lot of stuff and there's not really anything that I order off of Amazon that I could get from Costco. But like here's the, like right. so I, I live with like a, you get from Amazon. Like my husband is like handy and a tinkerer and so like recent orders on Amazon and looking at our account are 
Corsair Vengeance Performance Memory Kit 32 gigabyte DDR4 266 megahertz. <laughs> Strabito Electronics Precision Screwdriver Sets 142 piece. No, but but is Amazon Basics LR44 Alkaline Button Coin Cell Battery. Like is, is it important? Is that a prime purchase? Like you is it important that it came quickly? Off- yeah, and why would you want it to? Does it need to come quickly? It's about that if you order enough, you get a discount from Prime, and then you save. It's like Costco; like mm. you save the money. You know, we get our Costco membership refunded to us in like the executive rewards thing because right. we go there sure. all the time. Like we make money yeah. off of that. Exactly. The so Prime is sort Costco of the same thing. makes sense to me. Costco and Prime. Make no, less I think sense it's. I think it's fair. And I actually think Prime Video's like original content is not subscription worthy that would be no and the no. price is going up i think that's a re- i think that's a reasonable point but, but the anyway <laughs> we, we did watch an original film that's premiering on amazon prime and i liked it Katie. Uh-huh, me too i had a great time actually i was surprised i heard a lot of mixed things about the burial now this premiered at toronto film festival is that it did it did premiered late and it's one That's of those things where, like, yeah, exactly. It has a late <laughs> premiere. And I think a lot, like, the poster was pretty bad. Um, it's just like a, like, it was either Pointing. like a Photoshop mess or like Jamie this one Fox picture. Jamie Foxx in this movie. Tommy yeah. Lee Jones in this movie. It looks like, it looks like they're going to be grumpy old partners in uh, a wacky comedy. Yeah. And there's this one image where it's like them sitting on the steps and they both look kind of half asleep, which in the context of the movie, like, is a really nice moment, but it makes for a terrible image. Um. So yeah, so it felt like some, and a lot of times Toronto will have like movie with stars in it that like disappears immediately. Like Life Itself. Do you remember that movie with uh, oh, Olivia Wilde that premiered I'm there? The creator of This Is Us. Uh yes, exactly. But so I, a couple of people who I know saw it there were like, actually, Jamie Fox is really good in this movie, and it's like a throwback in a really enjoyable way. And I was like, okay. And um, David Canfield, my coworker interviewed the director, Maggie Betts for little gold men and talked to her about that. What she was her last about, film? Not Benediction. Uh, it's like a uh, different no, churchy. Novitiate. Isn't it about I'm nuns? not going to say this movie. Yeah. Uh, novitiate. Novitiate. Yeah. Uh, pretend like that's how you pronounce it. Which I have not seen. Um, I didn't really know anything about her, but you know, she kind of talked about being like, look, just like something can be a throwback and still feel really fresh and valuable, which I think is exactly what it is. And I started seeing on Letterbox. I've started using Letterbox. I oh, please follow me you. on Letterbox. A couple of people who I follow were like, "Hey, remember when we used to just make a bunch of these and they'd be on cable all the time and you would always watch them and love them?" And I was like, "Yeah, I do remember yes, that. I, I, I want to watch that." A Bobby Finger. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, oh God, what is this podcast called? Who Weekly. Who Weekly. Uh, great response to this movie, which is like probably a three and a half, but on a Sunday, it's a four. <laughs> and, and I'm like, that's exactly right. So the the T up here. I mean, Matt, Matt Singer, and just go back to Letterboxd one time, is like everyone in America would have seen it 20 times because it would have played on basic cable on an endless loop and it's so damn watchable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and here's why. So the movie is Jamie Foxx plays personal injury lawyer, a real person, this guy, Willie E. Gary. I was not familiar with the true story here at all. No, me neither. Um, someone who aspires to be like a Johnny Cochran. He is a millionaire. He has a private, a private plane. Um, he, he's a he very, does. very rich man uh, when the movie starts. 
Having uh, a private plane does seem insane. That he just seems be- more wealthy than he acts. I, I don't know. There's something about how his wealth that I think it kind of glosses over, even though they <laughs> both make a big point about how rich he is and then kind of grill him for being that rich later in the movie. But he's a master hand waver, right? Like he's when he gets up in the courtroom delivering remarks or interrogating witnesses, he's just the ultimate charmer. He's the smooth operator. He can win every case. Well, you um, meet him delivering a monologue to the jury at the end of a case. It's like the introduction of his character. And it like, you want to like stand up and clap at the end, which like literally they do in the movie, but it is, it's a barn burner. It's incredible in that one scene. And he's from Florida. And then over in Mississippi, this guy, Jeremiah Joseph O'Keefe, played by Tommy Lee Jones, who's getting up there. He's, he's seems old in this movie. And I mean that with no disrespect. I just, which is funny because he has I seemed see old per- since the fugitive. <laughs> I know, but he's like moving slower. He feels like a very old man in this movie. He, his character has had 13 children and 20 something grandchildren. I'm like looking at the woman playing his wife. Like, how do you have 13 children? How do you have 13 children? How do you do that? How does you spent thirteen uh-huh. years of your life basically pregnant? No, more than thir- more than thirteen. It's just but- astonishing. Um. Anyway, that's not what this movie is about. Anyway, Jeremiah O'Keefe is a a funeral home owner. He owns many funeral homes in Mississippi, and he's getting slammed financially, and makes a deal to sell his company to Bill Camp, uh, actor Bill Camp, playing this guy bringing low and low end group, just total sleaze, Talk having about a great in- time. Character introductions where you meet him standing on his yacht in Vancouver, which is such a funny like location. Like it's because it's based on a true story. Like why else would it be in Vancouver? Canadian high life. Um, and like the camera just like pans it on him. And you're just like Bill Camp on a yacht, five stars. I kind of want to see Wolf of Wall Street, but it's Bill Camp <laughs> in the Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> road. All the exact same movie, but him getting to do that stuff. He'd no be more great playboys, at it. only only Bill Camp. Um, obviously, this this uh, decision to sell to a huge funeral group or like conglomerate is a very strange. He's in the death business, as Bill Camp says, um, and it does not go well. He's he's going to be slighted. Tommy Lee Jones' character and decides well, to not sue. the kind of guy you make a handshake deal with. I feel like that's no. pretty clear. He really never signs the paperwork, and that does not go over well. So at the end of the day, Jeremiah O'Keefe hires Willie, Jamie Foxx, to come represent him, mostly because um, Tommy Lee Jones' old pal and lawyer, a longtime lawyer, played by Alan Ruck, um, kind of just wants to settle and not do anything, but Tommy Lee Jones' character brings on another lawyer. Um, who You were mentioning this actor. Who, uh, uh, Mamadou who, Athi. Mamadou Athi. He's been in a lot of little things. Maybe he, he had a Netflix show that people were uh, kind of culty. Archive 81. He was in Uncorked, that Netflix show. Oh, man, he was, he was in, in Jurassic in the Get World Down. Dominion. That's so unfortunate. Oh, he was the voice of the Elemental he was, Water yeah, Guy. He, he's the voice of the Water Guy in Elemental, we which uh, I, I like him so much in The Burial, and that character in Elemental he's sucks fabulous. so hard. It's not his fault. That character blows, and I will yeah. stand by it. He's this young lawyer, and Alan Ruck immediately sees him. Alan Ruck being like a good old boy Mississippi guy who's Which, like, like uh, black like, lawyer. You're not from the what? you're not from the South. Does Alan Ruck scream "good old boy Mississippi lawyer" to you? Uh, I mean, 
his mustache is big <laughs> enough that I think he can push I think through. Alan Rook is pretty good in this and like is kind of good as like a weak spined lawyer, but like he's just funny southern casting. Where do you think Alan just... Rook was born? Actually it's so obvious uh now that California I'm at it. No, he is Cleveland, Ohio. He oh. has Midwestern energy. Yeah, he does. So not not quite the South there. But um he's playing like as he later says in the movie, I am prejudiced. Like, yeah! I, I am a prejudiced man. I don't I don't want to be, and I don't like that I am, but I well, just that, can't help it. That's one of many grace notes in this movie. Like, it's a movie that's about race and not about race. Like, the case is not about it, but obviously it's a huge element of all of their lives. And I think the way that his attitude toward, toward race comes up and it comes up in the courtroom and that he kind of, like, deals with it gracefully in some way like they're not like bill camp is the easy villain in the movie but i don't think anybody else is and i think the willingness of it to kind of sit with him or like the journey smollett character who's like the lawyer from the opposing side who's defending this kind of transparently bad guy um it it pays attention to its characters and i think that really pays off yeah and as this movie goes on there is a bit of like amelie jones not not that his the comedy is i'm the old white guy and you're the hotshot black guy and we have differences in fact Jeremiah in real life and in the movie is a is a is a great like desegregation guy and a supporter of the black community in, in Mississippi. And like this is a big part of the movie that he has given lots of money and, and lots of support. And he he they move the case to a predominantly black uh city, I guess, to, to, to hold this court case because they they want to gain that sympathy and Willie sees a lot in this guy and wants to support him at first it's just like i'm gonna make a major name going after a, con a corporation and i'm gonna make millions and millions of dollars but in kind of true sappy drama way like the throwback aspect of this is that you know his cold heart melts a little and he becomes a good friend to this old man who needs him to be noble and, and true and like just be a damn good lawyer and he becomes a damn good lawyer. And it's pretty fulfilling. Like, it's very cookie cutter. I, I, I have encountered a few people who saw this movie and were like, it's bad. And it's just, like, boring. And Jamie Foxx isn't in it enough. I've heard someone say that. Do you agree with that? Well, he kind like of, he's all he, over this movie. He steps back for a while. But I feel like even when he's stepping back, he's kind of present there. Boring feels really strange to me. Like, it's so funny and lived in and like all the lawyers and jamie fox's team like all have their moments and like oh my god that like all the scenes with him and journey smollett where like there's this real like great energy between them but they're they don't hook up because that's not what this movie they is feel competitive not flirtatious and, but, and respectful at the same like they're yeah. interested in each other even though they don't want to like sleep with each other um there's just so like every scene you're just like oh i'm so excited to see this guy again and like you get a whole scene with that guy and like I think the emotion sells, like when Jamie Foxx's character is like talking about his like childhood as the you know son of a sharecropper. Like, there's there's thorny stuff in this, even if the plot is pretty straightforward. I feel like Jamie Foxx obviously had a long career in stand up, and then jumps to movies. And what do you have any idea what the movie that like gear shifts? Jamie Foxx into prestige actor mode. Obviously, Ray being an Oscar well, moment, but is Ray it Ali? And Collateral came out the same year. Is it year. Ali though? Like, yeah, what's the Ali actual segue for him? But like to go from he was in Booty Hall, right? Isn't that because he was in like Bait? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, he kind of did and, both at the same time, right? Like, wasn't he kind of toggling? 
Hang on, hang on. I'm on the his comedy stuff. Oh, I mean, He's one thing I thought Sunday, during that's probably a big one. Oh, sure, one. okay. That's ninety nine. Yeah, one thing that's I thought during the burial big. is that Jamie Foxx in the nineties wasn't necessarily like working at Will Smith level. Like he wasn't escalating in that way at that time, being a comedian, and he took a different path than Will Smith, who went action, and and Jamie Foxx ends up going dramatic. But like Will, uh, Jamie Foxx and and Tommy Lee Jones definitely could have made Men in Black together in 1997, yeah. and that would have been awesome and yeah. probably funnier. But um, oh, interesting. I, I I I was thinking about Jamie Foxx's arc here a bit because he got really serious, and then in this year with um, they called Tyrone and they this. Clone Tyrone? I just think, oh, cl- they cloned Tyrone. They called Tyrone. They called him a clone. Um, <laughs> He, I, did you see they cloned Tyrone? No, is it good? You need to go back. Oh, yeah. You need to go back to watch okay. this, this movie. Just Jamie Foxx, again, completely on fire. He's playing like a loudmouth pimp and just ripping it. Like, he's a great actor who knows comedy. He is a comedian. I he think- is an actor, and he can just spit fire. And he's playing a very, like, black exploitation tropey character in They Clone Tyrone. Um and it's it's almost like a Chappelle show sketch or something at times, but like and this movie is not like that at all. But he's still kind of like wielding comedian tactics, like like his 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 dynamic, um, his his presence. Just like he he orates in this movie. One of the first times we see him in the burial, he's like speaking at a at a a black church. And, oh yeah, um, right. That is the first he's thing. Just you see like him, not commanding the right? that room and mm-hmm. making people laugh and like invigorating people, and I'm just like. He just has such a way with words. It makes sense that he also didn't he host like a Shazam <laughs> game show. Shazam? Like, oh, like like the app can, Shazam? Yeah, like guess the beats or I don't even know. He can do it all. Like it's he's just so charismatic. I think um, I misremember him sometime as kind of a showboat because of some of that comedy stuff. And I think, you know, he's not like good in like he's in the Annie remake where I don't think anybody's any good in that. And so oh, he wow. has like this ability to be like, hello, I'm here. I'm charismatic, like movie star Jamie Foxx. And then like in Just Mercy, which is like not a bad movie, but you kind of be like, and now here I am. I am going for emotion. But I think with a with a good director and I think with like a character he can dive into, like both of those things feel, feel really authentic and driven from the same place. Like he's so charismatic, like you're saying, but it doesn't feel at the service of what is surrounding him in the movie. He is so in sync with what this film needs. And like, so funny like the that scene where tommy lee joe's goes to meet him in his office and he's got his like assistant slash hype man like sitting on the couch behind uh tommy lee jones and mamadou athy who's just like echoing everything jamie fox says like the rhythm of that is so perfect like they're so in sync with each other uh it's such a great performance the one other thing i'd say about the movie before we wrap up is that uh maggie betts wrote it i don't know if she gets she gets credit on this wikipedia page that i'm looking at right now but not uh in the movie i actually think there's a sole credit writer uh doug wright who oh interesting won a pulitzer prize oh, for his play that i saw I on, my own on broadway for i am my own wife yeah um i saw and that the play. guy has has written great plays he's also written a lot of shit like the little mermaid musical on broadway um I, I think I think the writing him... situation on that movie is a little uh, tenuous. On the burial, yeah, I think that she may have that Maggie ri- came in and like. I, I think that is likely what happened. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I was just gonna say, like, I, I hope that they have like a dual credit here, and I'm 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 sure that she did a lot of work on it because 
I just, I, as you mentioned, the movie is very character driven. It has, it like finds time in this very conventional, it could be not completely 90s uplifting schlock, but it just goes a little more and gives everyone a little more time. One person I really liked in the movie was, um, who plays Jamie Foxx's wife, uh, Pamela Reed, and someone who, or no, not, no, 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 that, uh, that's, uh, Tommy Lee Jones' wife. Uh, who plays? I don't even Amanda know. Amanda Warren. Amanda Warren. Um, oh, she was on The Leftovers, right? And, and on Dickinson. Uh, she's great. Not a lot in the movie, but like she gets some key scenes where they have a real marriage. They yeah. have a real fire. She, and, like, she's spark, really great. And they're, like in love, and they're hot, and they want to sex each other, and like it's <laughs> awesome. And they don't have that many scenes. And then Tommy Lee Jones gets to share a scene with her. Where she's like, "Your family, mm-hmm. like, come into yeah. my home." I just and- love like the amount of culture, the amount of like. They, it feels really lived in, and it doesn't need to go to that level to just be kind of, uh, hey, we're fighting the man here. Kind yeah. Of or like the scene drama. where uh, Jamie Foxx and Journey Smollett are talking about the OJ trial, and they're like, which side would you want? And they kind of like talking about themselves as lawyers and as black lawyers and as like recognizing what the justice system can and cannot do. Like there's so much depth to that, even in a scene that's like not really serving a huge narrative function, but it takes the time for it and with good reason. Uh, I will say to, to put a button on this that there are a lot of great movies out there right now and coming out. And I weirdly, and I shouldn't feel this way, like felt guilty that I was watching the burial. Um, because like, I know that there's greater films out there. I'm, this is me being the I David mean, here. Where it's not like, on, it's not kinda, it's the, in your house right like, now. It's not like one of the great films of the year, probably, but like, this is better than most streaming content. This is, yeah. This is a movie, and and a yeah. and a and a good one. I would recommend it. And I think that like knowing who Maggie Betts is and following what she's going to do next is worth your time too. Yeah, like definitely. she's clearly she's made something. Like it's not easy to make a throwback movie that still feels this vital and doesn't feel like it's rehashing a million things before, but also doesn't feel like too like oh weren't we silly in the nineties when we made these movies? It's straddling a really tricky line, and that kind of mastery of tone is was worth watching out for a movie it's like a it's a real movie that you that you can watch at home i, I feel like sometimes i watch these streaming well you watch a lot more streaming movies than i do i'm like streaming I, I movies that are just like, this is television um this is a movie so go watch the burial it's on prime if you subscribe to it which yeah. maybe you shouldn't i don't know it's really your decision uh, I, I, but, I don't uh, know what to say about that it's worth the burial, the burial is worth watching That does it for this week. Uh, we should all be back next week. Is the goal? Uh, the plan is to talk we about killers. We should be back. We should we all be back. Be I'm back. not canceling the podcast. Oh uh, we should all be back next week. Uh, I think we're hoping to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon. We'll see how many of us have seen it. We'll hopefully have Dave back from his book tour, uh, and I'll be back in one place. So, um, Matt Patches. In the meantime, who are you? I am Matt Patches, executive editor at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter and. Uh, Blue Sky and Letterbox at Mr. Patches and we have a website fightingintheworm.com where you can listen to, I bet you can listen to Dispatches of New York Comic Con from like eight years ago if you go back far enough into our archives. So I recommend that. Fightingintheworm.com uh, And I'm Katie Rich. I'm at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast where you can hear an interview with Maggie Betts which uh, I want to go back and listen to again now that I've seen the movie um, and where uh, this week 
we talked about some stuff. I cannot remember what it was at this moment, which is really speaking well great. of my brain. Yeah, mm-hmm. doing great. Good. Oscar, Oscar stuff. You don't uh, remember what you talked about on the Oscar podcast? Is uh, it a movie that's a killer, killer, Kellers of the uh, Flower Moon? <laughs> is that your Oklahoma accent? Kellers your... <laughs> of the Flower Moon. <laughs> I want you to see the movie and see how. I'm uh, Alan Rook <laughs> from Mississippi. Uh, yeah, we talked about Kellers of the Flower Moon for sure. Uh, find me on Twitter and Blue Sky and Letterboxd at Katie Rich. I think my Letterboxd name is just Katie Rich. Um, I'm enjoying Letterboxd a lot. I put off joining it for years and it's it's a great time. Uh, and we're all, maybe we should join, maybe we should all join Letterboxd. So we're all on Twitter and Blue Sky for now at F-I-T-W-R or you can um, tell us what you think of Patches, uh, Alan Ruck in the burial accent or you can answer this week's lightning round question which was what really really long movie or at least feels really really long actually earns feeling really really long that's a lot of words uh thanks for listening we'll be back talking to you next week I'm done.